Welcome to Sibyline Podcasts, part of our Insight series, where we aim to provide relevant, timely, and actionable analysis in discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more Insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe, and share. Hello and welcome to Superline's podcast series. I'm Valeria Scuto, the Middle East and North Africa analyst, and I'm joined today by my fellow analysts, Anastasia Chisholm and Rhiannon Phillips. Today, we're going to discuss what lies ahead and after Tunisia's vote on the 17th of December, where the country will cast their ballots in a much anticipated and contested election. Rhiannon, what can you tell us about the political context in which these elections will be held? Yeah, thank you, Valeria. Really, ever since President Zayed's dismissal of the Prime Minister and also the suspension of Parliament in July 2021, Tunisia's political and socioeconomic environment has steadily deteriorated. We've seen almost constant demonstrations and protest activity, mostly calling for the removal of President Saeed. Interestingly, in the after the initial aftermath of his suspension of parliament um, over a year ago, we did see mass pro-government protests occurring due to this perceived idea that the president was actually going to, you know, remove corruption, seek to address kind of the the bureaucratic and structural issues which were were failing to kind of improve the socioeconomic grievances that, that people were were airing and frustrated over. Since this date, we've seen the public become increasingly disillusioned with his policies, an increase in public dissent. We've seen, you know, no change in terms of the macroeconomic outlook. And so this has caused kind of quite a lot of public frustration. At the same time, we've seen several kind of pro and anti-government demonstrations, all kind of politically motivated, occurring at the same time. And this only further illustrates, you know, the the entrenched kind of political divisions within the country, and not only within the, amongst the public, and not only kind of in the political parties and entities itself. And so to date, we've seen uh, President Said utilise low turnout constitutional referendums, of which I think we will probably dis- discuss in further detail later on, and this consolidation of the executive authority. What this has meant is that we've seen kind of a shift from Tunisia's democratic system to one marred, you know, a lot more by authoritarian tendencies uh, and kind of this democratic backsliding. Ultimately, as I mentioned, you know, his extension of authority and control over aspects which are, you know, supposed to be quite independent of political influence, such as the judiciary, has really reinforced, as I said, this democratic backsliding, um, which we are seeing kind of across the region as well in other aspects. And crucially, you know, democracy and Tunisia's call for democracy was a, a critical demand from activists during the Arab Spring back in 2011. And so what we're seeing here is, you know, real widespread fear, not only amongst Tunisia's government itself and, and President Said, but also the, the kind of wider region that we're seeing this return to conditions of the Arab Spring. This has entrenched fear in the government um, and what this has meant that we're seeing, you know, harsher government and state responses to any form of civic activism, but particularly political, an increase in kind of state censorship and and a real fear that, you know, there's going to be this sort of political and social instability that we saw back in 2011. And so, you know, we're talking about context. It's a pretty, pretty you know, difficult and, and complicated context but ahead of these elections. Thanks for that. Well, definitely Tunisia is in a way the poster child in in under a certain light of success of the of the Arab Spring and democratic transition. But 
Anastasia, what, what can you tell us about how this election is different compared to the ones held in 2019? And I'd say the influence and relevance of the constitutional referendum um, held in, in July. Yeah, I mean, so the upcoming parliamentary elections are the first held since the replacement of the 2014 constitution via, as you mentioned, a constitutional referendum held in July this year. The referendum itself was controversial uh, and attracted low voter turnout to about 31%, uh, in part due to boycotting by political opposition groups and parties. The new constitution, uh, which did pass, has further bolstered executive authority and reduced separation of state powers. This includes via reducing parliamentary powers and placing the judiciary and the independent high authority for elections under presidential control effectively. Now, critics argue that this has implications for the likelihood of elections being held under you know, sufficient standards of freedom and fairness, unless there are significant numbers of independent observers present. Meanwhile, the upcoming elections are also taking place under new Legislation issued by Said in September. Now, the legislation stipulates that Tunisians will cast their votes for individuals representing districts rather than candidates representing their parties. And this itself has raised concerns that the legislation will formalize the shift towards, you know, an individual based system rather than a party based system, which critics argue is not well served to support a fully functioning democracy. Now, among other provisions, the legislation also removed quotas for under 35 seeing individuals with criminal records from voting or running in elections. Now, taking this coupled with a new law criminalising the online spread of disinformation, uh, critics argue that this will prevent political opponents, activists uh, and government critics from voting and seeking office uh, on the 17th. Very interesting. Thanks for that. I mean, it is no secret that Sayed has, President Sayed has centred more and more power um, towards him and this has sort of outshined other prominent politicians as well. So what, what can we expect from, from the candidates, the candidate list, and more broadly, sort of the, the, the participation of, of political opposition, Rhiannon? Yeah, as you said, the, the candidate list has been published. Um, we've seen it change quite a lot in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, really quite close to the elections themselves. Right now, as it stands, there are 1,055 candidates, 822 men and 173 women. So that represents, you know, around 15% are women um, currently. This is, uh, their hope is to fill these 161 seats in Tunisia's House of Representatives. It is worth noting that this number of seats has also reduced as of kind of changes made by President Kais Saeed in the last couple of weeks and months. Elections are actually only going to take place in 154 electoral districts as well. Um, 151 of these are domestic and we've got a three abroad as well. And so the remaining seven uh, are actually holding by-elections, um, which are to be organised at a later date. This date has not been um, specified as of yet. So the fact that these seven you know, districts have, have got to hold a, a, a by-election, basically the candidates failed to collect the required 400 endorsements. Um, so, you know, as we've been mentioning, this really does illustrate this political disengagement um, amongst kind of the, the Tunisian public more, more widely. This election is going to be based on kind of independent candidates rather than party-based. That is the crucial aspect, um, as Anastasia mentioned. Um, and... What we see here, you know, whilst we have seen a candidate list published, the fact that it's independent candidates, this could be, a, you know, effort to create this more fragmented and restrictive political space. And this definitely plays into kind of President Kayem Syed's advantage and undermines any form of uh, political unity against him. In terms of who's actually running uh, and, and candidate wise, we've seen a lot of um, uh, members of the For the People to Triumph. 
this is kind of a forum which makes up the majority of candidates. This is inclusive of independence from the Tunisian popular current, the July 25th movement and the Tunisia forward movement. And within this, these are kind of overwhelming pro-Syed representatives, um, more, more or less in this forum. Uh, again, this creates this imbalance in terms of political opinion and direction, undermines democracy and really does reduce the role of political parties in any form of political diversity. And what this circles back to is these restrictions on candidates and candidacy that we have seen in the aftermath of these new electoral laws put forward. People have been massively disillusioned by the reduction in the number of seats and also the restrictions on candidates themselves and has, has resulted in kind of this less political engagement and we can expect a, a lower vote, um, voter turnout because of this. The reduction in the amount of people actually supervising the elections is also a massive cause for concern that this has been reduced from, from nine to seven. And, you know, whilst we saw President Said say that, you know, corruption and bureaucratic obstacles were the reason for any form of structural and, and political change in the first place, we see this removal of, of oversight, um, providing a space for kind of voter fraud and rhetoric around corruption and a less kind of political direction and, and accountability as well. And this is definitely a rhetoric that we can see and expect kind of throughout the elections, but also in the aftermath as well because of these changes. We're seeing a lot of backlash as well in terms of who is actually able to vote and the eligibility. So this has changed as well in the last couple of weeks and as a result of new electoral laws. Notably, military personnel and civilians uh, carrying out military service, whether this kind of conscripts or agents of the internal security forces, um, whereas they could previously vote, they, they can't vote um, in these elections. And these, these restrictions are, are, are prompting um, also for there to be kind of one candidate running in a lot of areas as well, again, undermining this principle of democracy. So we really are seeing this trend here. Um, instilling public disillusionment as well. And uh, finally, on, on this note, in, in terms of kind of electoral restrictions more broadly, um, we're seeing that candidates, uh, some, some foreign media are actually not allowed to report on some specific candidates, again, narrowing this extent of, of political campaigning and fairness. Because of this, and because of just general uh, restrictions and electoral um, electoral laws that, that have not been very popular, 12 parties in total are boycotting the elections. Um, most notably the, the powerful Anafta party. Um, we've got the Democratic Modernist Poll and also the Republican People's Union, amongst others. Uh, and so, you know, this widespread call for boycott, public disillusionment, it doesn't really set up um, a kind of very fair uh, and, and free election in, in terms of kind of international standards. Thanks for that. Um, yes, the issue of representation will definitely be something uh, to watch in the weeks um, following the, the ballots. Um, I guess a big elephant in the room for, for Sayed is the General Labour Union, the Ujetete. I was wondering what your thoughts um, were on its role before uh, these um, the, the voting on, on the 17th and following and sort of the sentiment and I guess the, the relationship between the, the union, uh, which has a lot of, of political weight in the country and these upcoming polls. Yeah, absolutely. One, one thing about Tunisia and, you know, the last couple of years, um, months, etc., is that the political environment is so inextricably linked to um, the economic environment as well. Um, so we have, as you said, there's been a lot of opposition from um, kind of the, the, the huge union uh, leaders, UGTT being, being the main one, 
Um, we've also seen opposition, the, the opposition Republican Party being very local, uh, very vocal, sorry, in criticising President Syed's decision. He's he's framed, um, they, they've framed, sorry, most of his decisions in the last couple of months as legislative chaos. And, and so we have seen the powerful uh, general labour union, so the UGTD, um, rallying uh, union leaders to join in boycotts um, and mostly kind of um, urging industrial action as well uh, to destabilise the government and, and rally wider public dissent. Um, so the UGTC has there's been kind of a wholesale rejection of the parliamentary elections, um, both in rhetoric, but also, as I said, by a, by a boycotts. Um, this is the strongest possible criticism um, that could carry so much weight across society. This is this is purely uh, because of, you know, where where the leader and um, where the leaders of unions kind of have um, have influence across the across the country, both in terms of kind of industrial focus, but also just kind of widespread social rhetoric. The union itself comprises around one million members, just to put, you know, a, a quantitative number to this. And so such overwhelming support for you know, prolonged industrial action is really going to cause concern is, and is already causing concern for the future of Tunisia's macroeconomic outlook. Um, notably, we've also seen the head of the National Salvation Front, Najib Jebi, also, um, you know, strongly denounce Syed's legislative and political roadmap, uh, framing it as an absolute failure from the very beginning. Um, alternatively, on the flip side, in, in terms of um, you know boycotting and what the wider sentiment around these elections is, um, we have seen a lot of rhetoric in support of Syed's policies, and we've seen this from the moment really that he uh, that he suspended Parliament. There has been a lot of political backing um, alongside uh, a lot of criticism. As I as I mentioned, many of these political parties um, or independents, sorry, um, form a kind of forum. And these are the individuals really standing, uh, standing for these legislative elections. These figures are also, you know, blaming the NAFTA party and the post-revolution um, figures for years of economic and political stalemate in, in Tunisia. So they have a very strong rhetoric around this, which has been able to rally some public support as well. And they do strongly believe and, and frame it that these elections are going to enact some change. Um, that other political members couldn't. And as I said, the political context and, and economic context is, is very closely linked and, you know, extricably linked, really. These elections are occurring uh, amid a particularly economic, a bad economic downturn for Tunisia, as I, as I briefly mentioned at the beginning, not only in terms of lowered industrial output, um, but also just kind of a wider domestic economic downfall. The UGTT leaders have signaled that they're not behind structural changes uh, outlined by the government. This is inevitably already but also going to impact external financing and it also shows how no improvement in the political situation also means and kind of the maintenance of the status quo story also shows that this is going to prolong uh, Tunisia's economic crisis. It's going to impact their ability to attract any form of foreign investment or build a sustainable environment and such social instability ultimately will impact operational capabilities and will continue to do so. Ultimately, global fallouts associated with the Russia-Ukraine conflict are going to have more of an impact and have already had more of an impact on Tunisia, uh, purely because of the government's inability to cushion this economic blow. They've struggled to, to sustain any form of social welfare package or state subsidies, um, and this ultimately is a massive trigger for further unrest. As with our previous assessments, urban areas um, such as Sfax, Sousse and the capital um, Tunis have been most vulnerable to protester activity in recent months and we've seen some kind of violent confrontations as well which have been economically uh, motivated alongside kind of political changes and political motivations as well. It will be definitely um, very interesting to see how these these elements you have mentioned will play in sort of what we can expect 
for this week uh, and uh, during the pause and then in the weeks following uh, the pause. Um, Anastasia, I was wondering if you could expand uh, on a couple of points in terms of tactical and operational implications for, for businesses, what can um, staff uh, based in, in Tunisia expect and sort of companies um, involved in businesses, business with um, Tunisian entities as well? Yeah, of course. I mean, building on that, just for some context, uh, polls are set to open to voters uh, located outside the country from the 15th until the 17th December, and then to in-country voters on the 17th December. Now, the reveal of the preliminary vote count is expected between the 18th and 20th, uh, with final results set to be announced on the 19th of January. So as we can see, this is kind of like a prolonged uh, electoral period. And during this period, uh, as mentioned, we're likely to see security forces maintaining a heightened posture at likely protest venues, um, you know, government buildings, major roads, the like, pretty much from uh, now until uh, mid to late January. In terms of implications, we're likely to see uh, localized disruption to overland transport routes, um, and then any obviously uh, for any in-country personnel, uh, anti-government protests, and indeed counter-protests as well, uh, will generate elevated bystander risks, most likely in city centers, um, and there will be a heightened risk of clashes or, uh, between both anti-government and uh, pro-government groups, as well as uh, potentially with security forces in the coming weeks. As we've mentioned already, uh, voter turnout is likely to be low uh, due to the combination of the boycott by 12 political parties and other groups who will likely accompany this with rallies, uh, in addition to widespread public disenfranchisement. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, uh, not looking like too much of a positive outlook going forward. Definitely many, many things to, to look out for, particularly due to the gap between sort of the, the vote counting, um, the preliminary vote counting, uh, sorry, and the, the announcement of final final results. Sayed has had a number of, of, of key challenges and we've, we've uh, touched upon the implications of the Russia-Ukraine conflict and Tunisia's vulnerability to, to these external shocks and the negotiations with the IMF have uh, been prolonged now, but what seemed to sort of bridge together the differences between Sayed and the Ujadete have come a bit to a standstill. Um, and I was wondering what do you think will be the, the key challenges for this incoming, incoming government and, and how the new executive will be able to, to navigate these? Yeah, I mean, the key challenge for this incoming government uh, will be pushing through much needed economic reforms uh, made more by union opposition towards both elections as well as President Said's wide political and economic agenda, which is the government's uh, agreement for an IMF funding package. Now, the politically powerful one million member union is highly likely to represent a barrier to the successful implementation of economic reforms in the coming months, likely frustrating efforts by the incoming government to obtain the necessary foreign donor and uh, subsequent investor financing uh, in the coming year. Now, further government attempts to drive progress in IMF negotiations or the implementation of IMF recommendations, which uh, we expect to include subsidy. Uh, subsidy lifting and government spending cuts uh, are likely to represent triggers for uh, union-led strikes and industrial action in the coming months. Uh, now, for clients, this is uh, 
likely to generate cross-sectoral disruptions, including to transport and energy sectors, likely to result in uh, business interruptions uh, or disruption to supply chains across the country. So definitely something we're going to be keeping a very close eye on in the coming months. Thank you. Definitely a number of elements that as a desk we will be covering and following closely. Again, thank you both very much. I'd now like to welcome our Sub-Saharan Africa Associate Analyst, Edie Lipton, who will outline the key highlights to watch uh, in the upcoming weeks. On the 21st of December in Mongolia, there'll be a public hearing on theft, illegal sales of coal and corruption involving state-owned ETT officials. The hearing follows reports of corruption, which sparked large-scale protests in Ulaanbaatar last week. Peaceful protests are likely to continue in the run-up to the hearing. On the 13th, 14th, 16th and 17th of December and the 3rd, 4th, 6th and 7th of January, the UK's National Union of Rail, Maritime and Transport Workers will hold winter strikes over pay and working conditions. Strikes are likely to cause disruption to business distribution operations due to increased congestion to overland transport routes. On the 14th of December, Morocco will play France in the World Cup semi-finals. Urban areas of cities are likely to be overcrowded with likely heightened security posture, causing possible disruptions to localised travel. Some violent clashes are also possible depending on the result. In the US, the House Committee will release its 6th of January report on the week of the 21st of December. This is likely to polarise the public and possibly mobilise domestic unrest in Washington, D.C. in response to the findings, especially if it implicates Donald Trump. And finally, on the 13th of December, the National Assembly in South Africa will vote on the report into President Ramaphosa's fitness for office. The potential approval of the report would likely result in the launch of proceedings to impeach Ramaphosa. An impeachment vote is highly unlikely to get two thirds of the votes needed, although President Ramaphosa is still likely to face significant competition for control of the ANC party at the elective conference, which will run from the 16th to 20th of December. Thank you. Thank you, Edie. And uh, thank you all very much for tuning in today. Should you have any questions, please feel free to reach out via email at info at Until next time, goodbye.